My name is Heidi and I love stories, funny stories, sad stories, and what on earth just happened stories. As it turns out, the Bible is full of them. And after two decades in Sunday school and a master's in English, I'm here to tell them to you. Get ready. This is Messy Scripture. For quite a while, Israel was doing well in Egypt. They were allowed to live and farm and be shepherds, which is their thing, but eventually a new king, maybe not even just a new king, possibly a new dynasty, although the text isn't really clear on that, rose up over Egypt. This new king didn't really know or respect Joseph and was really worried about how they had a very large foreign population. So he decided that the best thing that they could do with the descendants of Israel, which had now multiplied into a not insignificant group of people, was to make them slaves. You might remember that Abraham had been told something like this would happen and that it would last for about 400 years. Well, guess what? It did. Despite the very intense, very should-have-died young servitude that Israel was being subjected to, they were still having kids too fast for Pharaoh's liking. So he made up a new rule. Anytime a male son was born in a Hebrew slave's house, they were to be killed, but the females could live. This makes sense in part because the male fighting force thing, but also because, you know, boys can reproduce faster than girls as far as once they're sexually mature. Pharaoh's clever plan to make sure that his plan actually happened was to tell the midwives to deal with the babies. In other words, when a woman was giving birth, midwives would kill any male sons and save all the female ones. Unfortunately for Pharaoh, and fortunately for the Israelites, the Hebrew midwives feared God and were under no circumstances going to kill all the newborn sons. What they told Pharaoh when he finally asked them, you know, why there were all these infant boys running around. Crawling around? I suppose scooting around. Anyway, Pharaoh found out about it, and when he asked them about it, they were like, well, it's not our fault Hebrew women give birth too fast. Like, Hebrew midwives are kind of just a trophy position. Like, we don't do anything. We show up and the baby's already born. Pharaoh had no real response to this, since he couldn't prove it, and he didn't want to admit that Egyptian women were weaker than Hebrew women, and the Hebrew midwives were definitely lying through their teeth about it. But you know what? That was probably the right answer. <laughs> In fact, it was definitely the right answer, because as a reward for their faithfulness, two specific midwives that had decided that they were not going to kill the infant boys, God gave them families of their own. Israel was continuing to be blessed, you know, even as slaves, which it's not to say that their slavery was a blessing. It is to say that no matter how bad things were, it's like God would not completely abandon the children and descendants of Israel. Pharaoh caught on to the fact that this midwife dealing with the baby's plan was absolutely not going to work. He made up yet another new rule. The new rule was that any male boys would be cast into the River Nile, but any female babies would not be. The river would decide their fate, and since, you know, it's a river and they're babies, they would all drown. At one point, though, in the tribe of Levi, a man and his wife had a child. And that child was a boy, and the wife saw that the boy was a perfect little specimen, just the cutest little thing, and she could not bear to kill him. In one of those amazing feats of motherhood, she managed to hide this baby for three months. Eventually, it became impossible, and so she came up with a plan. She made a basket, covered it in pitch so that it would be waterproof, put the baby in the basket, and put the basket with the baby in the river. If this is starting to sound familiar because a lot of very famous Hollywood movies have been made about this particular story, that makes sense. However, what none of them have touched on is that the mother of this baby actually came up with a very clever form of protest. See, she did, in fact, put her son in the Nile. There was no rule that the mother had to ensure the baby drowned. There was just a rule that she had to put him in the river. And she did! There was no rule about the basket. This also was leaving the baby's fate in the fate of God, or in the fate of, in the Egyptians' eyes, the gods. Because, you know, the baby was technically in the river. She followed all the rules. But in a way that gave the child a chance. And again, 
put his fate into the hands of God, or again, in the Egyptians' eyes, the gods. The Levite woman who had put the baby in the river also asked the baby's older sister, whose name was Miriam, to follow the basket and see what would happen. The basket drifted down the Nile peaceably, all the way to Pharaoh's freaking palace. And who found the basket? Not just anybody, not a slave, not a servant, not even a low-ranking official. No, no, no. The person who fished this particular basket with a baby inside, out of the Nile, was none other than Pharaoh's daughter. She sees the baby, also sees that he's the cutest thing ever and that he's crying and needs to survive. And she's like, this is a Hebrew baby, but I will keep it. And at this point, Miriam pops out of the bushes and is like, hello, Princess Pharaoh's daughter, who just found a Hebrew baby in the river that she would like to keep. Would you like me to find a Hebrew woman who is breastfeeding and can nurse the baby for you? And Pharaoh's daughter's like, excellent idea. So Miriam skips on home and brings back the baby's own mother to nurse him. Eventually, the child was weaned, and the mother had to give him back to the daughter of Pharaoh. Pharaoh's daughter named him Moses because she drew him out of the water. It is, by the way, a stunning and notable exception that one of the greatest heroes in the Bible bears an Egyptian name. Moses' name is never changed by God to anything else. He bears the name Moses forever, which doesn't sound super Egyptian, you know, because we're used to hearing it in the context of Moses, 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 Moses. But when you think about it next to names like Ramses, it suddenly sounds very Egyptian. So Moses, drawn out of the water, is now raised as a, wait for it, Prince of Egypt. Yes, this is what that movie Prince of Egypt is about. You should watch it. It's great. Moving on, there's no indication in the actual story that Moses didn't know he was a Hebrew. In fact, he did know he was a Hebrew. And one day during his adulthood, he went out and watched the Hebrew slaves working. He wanted to see what it was all about. As it turns out, slavery is all about being a slave. It sucks. And Moses happened upon a Egyptian beating a Hebrew probably to death. So Moses did what any rational, sane adult would do. He absolutely murdered the Egyptian. I'm just kidding about the rational, sane adult thing. But that is what Moses did. He murdered the Egyptian and buried the body in the sand. He thought he'd gotten away with it, but in fact, the next day when he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting with each other and he tried to break it up, the Hebrews were like, oh, are you going to kill me the same way you killed the Egyptian? And Moses is like, oh crap, people know. Not only did people know, but Pharaoh specifically found out and he wanted to kill Moses because from context, chances are Pharaoh was aware that his grandson was not exactly completely loyal to the crown. It's not like Moses was Pharaoh's favorite. Just because Pharaoh's daughter adopted a Hebrew baby because the gods had fated that the baby would survive the river trip doesn't mean that Pharaoh was happy about it. And this opportunity that presented itself looked very appealing. Moses dashed right out of Egypt and all the way to Midian, which is some distance away, and sits down by a well. If this is sounding familiar, it's because it should be. Guess who walked up? The seven daughters of the priest of Midian. Ooh, fancy. Very shortly thereafter, some other shepherds showed up and started hassling the daughters of the priest of Midian, and Moses got to show his stuff by driving them away and keeping the girls safe and helping them water their sheep. They might not have been socialized as well as perhaps they should have been socialized, because they went back to their father, and he's like, how on earth did you get back so early today? And they're like, well, an Egyptian saved us and made everything better. He took care of all the sheep for us and got rid of the other shepherds who were being in the way. And he's like, well, where is the Egyptian? Why didn't you bring him home and invite him back? You know, like you should have done. By the way, basically every film portrayal of this does not have this detail in there because it's just so weird. Like, why on earth did the daughters leave Moses at the well? I don't know. Now he's the pretty, pretty princess at the well. I guess. 
But they did eventually invite Moses home with them, and long story short, Moses married one of the daughters. Her name was Zipporah. She was the oldest, and uh, definitely a bit of a firecracker, according to every single portrayal I have ever seen, and also the context of the rest of the story. Anywho, Moses with the trigger finger marries Zipporah the firecracker, daughter of the priest, and together they have a son. While Moses is in Midian, Egypt still has Israelites as slaves, and God hears their prayers. He's been hearing their prayers, but now he's decided he's going to do something about it. And the thing that he's going to do about it is send Moses back to Egypt. God decides to get Moses' attention in one of the coolest and weirdest ways he's ever gotten anyone's attention ever. God lights a bush on fire with himself. It's called the burning bush. It's a very important story. Anyway, Moses sees a bush burning on the side of a mountain, but it doesn't seem to be burning up. Like, it's clearly on fire, but it's also clearly still green and not burning. Like, the fire is not doing anything to damage the bush. It's very weird. And Moses is like, this is very weird. I am going to go investigate. I'm going to go see this incredible sight that I have never seen before. God has successfully gotten Moses' attention, and once Moses is close enough, God speaks to him directly. He calls out to Moses by name, and Moses answers, here I am. God tells him not to come any closer, but to take off his sandals. The place that he's standing is holy ground. Now, this holy ground thing is very weird, and nobody has a really super clear explanation that I can tell, because being barefoot is not particularly common in the Bible. But I like my mom's theory. My mom thinks that the reason that God had Moses take off his sandals is because God was definitely too powerful for Moses to get any closer. But it was also a way for Moses to feel directly the presence of God, and for God to feel directly his presence. It was like a sweet little point of contact between the two of them. Anyway, barefoot Moses is standing in front of this bush that isn't actually burning with fire, but is burning with the presence of the Lord. And the Lord tells him that he is the father of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. And that he has heard the people's cry in Egypt, and that his plan is to send Moses back to set them free. Moses is like, um, what? <laughs> I am so ridiculously unqualified for this job. Why on earth would you send me? And God's like, you're the one I picked, man. Moses like, <laughs> God reminds Moses that, you know, he picked him and tells him that they will end up worshiping God on the very mountain upon which God has appeared now. And Moses is like, okay, well, if I go to them and I tell them that their God has appeared to me, how do I tell them what your name is? What is your name? Who are you? And God's response is one of the most epic. He responds, tell them I am who I am sent to you. That's the only name we get for God in the entire Bible that's like a name God calls himself, or at least for a very, very long time. I am who I am has sent you. God makes it very clear to Moses that uh, Egypt is not going to exactly let their entire free workforce go easy, and so God is going to have to intervene, but he is going to until Pharaoh lets the people go. And that in doing so, God's glory and might will be seen through all of Egypt, both in the Egyptians' eyes and in the eyes of the Hebrews. Moses is going to be doing a lot of the legwork, but God's going to be doing all the heavy lifting. And Moses is like, <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure about this. And God's like, okay, I'm going to give you some signs, and these signs I will repeat in front of the people of Israel, you know, so that they believe you. I want you to throw your stick on the ground. Moses does so, and the stick immediately turns into a snake. This is very scary, and Moses jumps back, and God's like, don't worry about it. Pick it up by the tail. Not by the head, you know, where you would actually pick up a snake. No, pick it up by the tail. Moses reaches out and grabs it, and the snake turns back into a stick. And God's like, okay, now put your hand in your shirt. Moses does so, and his hand comes back out covered in leprosy. Real bad, also incurable. God's like, okay, you see the leprosy? Now put your hand back in your shirt and take it back out. And Moses does so, and boom, his hand is back to normal. And God's like, you see, I can do the impossible. And if they still don't believe these two signs, you know, because they're epic and really cool, take some water out of the Nile, pour it on the ground, it'll be blood. 
it'll be awesome. And Moses is like, but, 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 but I stutter. God delivers what might be the greatest clapback of all time and says, well, who made man's mouth? I will give you words to say. I will put the words in your mouth. And Moses still, after like 19 miracles and getting seriously, (laughs) metaphorically burnt by a burning bush of God presence, is still like, send somebody else. And God's like, oh my me. Fine, I will send your brother with you. Your brother will do the talking and you will do the stick carrying and the miracle stuff. Oh, look. There's your brother Aaron now. He's coming to meet you, and he's going to be so happy to see you. You and Aaron will take care of this project together. I was going to send you by yourself, but since you need some hand-holding, I'll send your older brother with you. And Moses is like, thanks. Moses goes back to his father-in-law and asks for permission to return to Egypt, with also the Lord's blessing, because God tells Moses that everyone who wants him dead is already dead. So... Moses backs up his family, and they head off to Egypt. On the way there, however, God stops them in the way and is going to kill Moses because he's not circumcised. And Zipporah does what might be the boldest and biggest move ever. She tackles her son and circumcises him right then and there and puts the foreskin on Moses' foot. Yes, it's a euphemism for something else. And she's like, look, he's a bridegroom of the blood. And then the angel of the Lord is like, yeah, okay, fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. So Moses doesn't actually have to get circumcised at that time and... Also, Zabora is a badass. Let's just get that right out there. She took care of the whole thing. Moses returns to Egypt, meets up with Aaron in the desert on the way back there, and they together convince Israel that it is worth a shot. God is on their side again. After all of the years that they've been praying, he's finally heard their prayers, and it's time to try to get set free. With the people of Israel's blessing, which I guess Moses felt like he needed, He and Aaron go before Pharaoh to try to get set free, and their first meeting with Pharaoh is exactly as good and successful as one might expect it would be when you ask a monarch to get rid of his entire free labor force. It is an utter disaster. Moses and Aaron ask for permission for Israel to go into the desert for only three days to offer sacrifices to God, and Pharaoh's like, why should I care about your God? And they ask again, it's a three-day journey, please just let us go into the desert, and Pharaoh's like, and I ask you again, why should I care about this God? You say you're overworked? You haven't seen overworked yet, buddy. Now, new rule. It's a very familial trait, this new rule thing with the Pharaohs. You used to make bricks with straw provided for you. No more. Your brick quota must remain the same, but you need to make the bricks without straw. Straw is a binding agent in ancient bricks, so this was very bad. Also, he was expecting the Hebrews to go out and find straw for themselves, which is not easy, especially since, you know, they need to be actively making bricks. But that's Pharaoh's decree. Not only will I not give you a weekend off to go worship God in the desert, not only will I definitely not set you free or lighten your load in any way, I'm going to essentially double your workload. The quota hasn't changed, but now it's twice as difficult. Oh, and tell your God I said hi. Moses and Aaron return to Israel, who is, as a people, definitely not happy with the situation. But God promises deliverance. He promises that he is going to intervene. And after quite a bit of going back and forth, the people of Israel are convinced to let Moses and Aaron try again. Pharaoh had told them, basically, uh, piss off. What he did not realize is that he had epically pissed God off. So far in his lifetime, Moses has been drawn out of the water, his life saved in an act of incredible courage and protest by both his mother and his adopted mother. He is now going up against Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, and certainly the most powerful man in his vicinity. And God has finally, 
after all of these years, told someone a name that they can call him. I am who I am, and I am is not happy with the situation. Next episode, God is going to wage war against Pharaoh, and I would like you to take even two seconds to think about how you think that is going to go for Pharaoh, because whatever you think is about to happen, it's going to be a lot worse, and in many ways a lot funnier, because God is epic with the clapbacks. Stay tuned. <laughs>